Good morning, everyone. It's nice to be with you here in Knollwood here today. My name is Bob Parks, and uh, I'm uh, an area pastor, I guess you would say. My wife, Judy, who's with me here this morning, and I are living in Kitchener, where we were involved with Benton Street Baptist Church for 19 years, but we've been away from uh, the ministry there, doing interim ministries in various places, which included Stony Creek Baptist Church just up the way a few years back, and most recently, Pineland Baptist Church in Burlington, where Pastor Nate was serving for a number of years. So we have a number of uh, interconnections. I was thinking this morning, the last time I was here at Knollwood was at the time when Pastor Nate was being installed. And uh, that's been, what, about three years ago or something along that line. So it's wonderful to be here at Knollwood. And I offer my uh, belated congratulations to you on your 80th anniversary of the church's ministry. And I'm aware of the fact that God has given you a rich history of pastors and leadership and, and ministry in this community. So I'm just delighted to be able to be here for this morning's service at Pastor Nate's invitation. Uh, I'm aware, and maybe some of you are as well, that Pastor Nate and Steph are in Goderich this morning at Calvary Baptist Church, where uh, Steph's 91-year-old grandmother is being baptized today. And uh, that's a wonderful thing to, to contemplate, that someone of that age who had been raised Catholic and lived Catholic for a long, long time, but attended that church, I think, with a younger relative, and has come to real, true personal faith in Christ and wanted to declare that faith in baptism. And that's what discipleship really requires, doesn't it? As Jesus said to those early disciples, those 12 that he trained, he said uh, uh, that you are to go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone And you are to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. So baptism is a very important step of discipleship. I would say to anyone here this morning, if you consider yourself to be a disciple of Jesus, then one of the most uh, basic steps that you need to take is to follow him in baptism. Many of you have done that, some of us years and years ago. I know I was 10 years of age when I followed the Lord in that way, and it's given me all these uh, remaining years, the last uh, years of my life, uh, to follow and serve him as, a, as his disciple. I'd like to talk about your discipleship and what Jesus wants you to know from his teaching today. So if you have your Bible in hand, I want you to open it up, if you would, to the Gospel of Mark and chapter 6. We're going to be reading some verses that are familiar to many of us. Uh, we often call this the feeding of the 5,000, which is actually uh, a bit of a, a misnomer because there were many more than 5,000 that were there for that occasion. The feeding of the multitude might be a better way to explain it, but we're not going to stop there at that point. We're going to keep going and, and uh, read the next section as well because it's very much related to that. So let's read the Word of God together. I'm going to read. You follow. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You follow in whatever version you have along with you this morning, beginning with verse 30 of Mark chapter 6. The Scriptures say, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. 
For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. And then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Now we continue reading with verse 45. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out in the sea, and he was alone on the land. And they saw that they were making headful headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. This is the word of the Lord. Let's give thanks for his word today before we enter into this message of the morning. Father, with your word open before us, we know it is your revelation to our hearts today. For many of us, these are familiar words. They're words sometimes that are so familiar that we've we think there's nothing, perhaps much more that we could gain from them. But we know your spirit makes alive your word because your word is living and active. It is like a two-edged sword that pierces deep into our lives. And I pray that that will be true today for me, for each of us here. As we look to your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would make it come alive in our hearing and may our hearts be open to receiving it and obeying it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Did you notice anything unusual when we read this passage today? Well, certainly the familiar feeding of the multitude. But did you notice right at the end of this section, and I purposely read both sections and not just the one, because at the end of the section that we read, verse 51 or 52, after they had gotten in the boat, it says, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts 
were hardened. You know, if the disciples missed the lesson of the loaves, <laughs> I think I did too. Sometimes there are things in the scriptures, especially in the teaching of Jesus, that somewhat go whizzing by us as though we, uh, we didn't really catch it the first time. Many of us who've been in school have had that same experience. The teacher teaches a lesson, and you're supposed to be listening while the lesson is going on. And then when it comes time for the test, somehow your mind goes blank and you had no concept of what it was. You fail the test. And sometimes you fail it miserably. I would say that was true of these disciples. That Jesus had taught a lesson, a lesson that was in the form of a miracle, but they totally missed it. The, the scriptures there say their hearts were hardened. They weren't really able or willing to understand what it was that Jesus was teaching them. You might say, well, how was Jesus teaching? It does say in the earlier verses that we read that he taught the multitudes, but when it came to the distribution of the bread and the fish, how was that teaching? You know, there's something quite interesting about the scriptures, and especially about Jesus' ministry, and that is this, that Jesus taught in parables throughout all of his ministry, and those disciples heard many of his parables that he taught, and they understood that when he gave them a parable, it was to teach them. But did you know that not only are Jesus' parables his teaching, but his miracles were teaching as well. In fact, it is true, and I believe if you haven't heard it before, you may need to think about it for a bit, but I believe it is true that all of Jesus' miracles were actually in themselves parables. When Jesus did something, it was not just merely to meet a need or to help people out. It was to teach them. And if you watch Jesus' miracles very carefully, you will find that there are teaching elements in it. That Jesus did what he did so that people would understand. Sometimes understand who he was. Sometimes understand certain spiritual truths that he wanted to communicate to them. There was something in this feeding of the multitude that Jesus wanted his disciples to learn. Well, they didn't learn it, at least at that point. They missed it, as we read in that last verse. But what was it? Well, if you're curious, <laughs> and sometimes we say, well, if they missed it, I missed it. What, what was it we were to have learned? They were to have learned. I want you to look back at that experience for just a moment. There are some clues in this passage that help us to understand what those disciples should have learned and how it would have applied to their experience trying to row across the lake when the wind was against them. Look back again as, as we look in, in the earlier verses when uh, Jesus said, uh, talked about giving them something to eat. He said in verse 37, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Well, you know, we might think, well, what did Jesus mean by that? He knew, certainly, that they didn't have sufficient food in themselves for all those people. He knew that there wasn't enough in the disciples' supply to feed 5,000-plus people. So why would he say, you give them something to eat? Was he serious? We might be inclined to think, well, he was just teasing with them. He knew that they didn't have enough to eat, but he was just kind of playing with them. Years ago, as a young father, I had a, a young son who would often ask me 
Dad, give me a, a horsey back ride. Any of you dads here have that experience, you know? Give me a horsey back ride. And he expected, of course, that I would lift him up on my back or on my shoulders and walk him around the room as though I were a horse. And he would enjoy that. Well, there was at least one occasion when I said to him, now, John, I want you to give me a horsey back ride. Well, he was just a little guy, very tiny. And, of course, there was no way. He knew there was no way I could actually put my full weight on him, but I'd pretend to do it. And I'd have him stand in front of me, and I'd put one leg around this way and one leg around this way, and then pretend to put my full weight down on him so that he would give me a horsey back ride. Well, I was just teasing with him. I was just playing with him. Some might be inclined to think that that's what Jesus was doing with his disciples. He knew they couldn't feed all these people, but he was saying, no, you give them something to eat. But you know when I examine that, and I think when you examine it carefully, you understand that Jesus was not teasing at all. He was dead serious. He was saying, as a command, you give them something to eat. Well, how did that happen? Well, of course, they didn't provide everything that was needed other than the, the basic uh, foundation for that meal. We know that the other gospel writers, and by the way, this is the only only uh, miracle of Jesus that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. Matthew takes the, the tack of, of the little boy with the, uh, the loaves and the fishes, and many times we hear the lesson out of that section being, well, give to Jesus whatever you have, and he will multiply it and use it in the lives of other people, and, and that's a good lesson, but that's not the lesson that Mark is aiming for us to hear this morning in his Gospel. The, the lesson that Mark has in mind and, and the gospel writers, I think, ultimately in mind is something quite uh, unique and different because when Jesus said to his disciples, get the people ready, have them sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties and, and scout out what you have and bring it to me and let's get everything ready because something is about to happen. By the way, did you know that whenever Jesus speaks something happens. Something is always about to happen. In fact, it goes all the way back because Jesus, with the Father, Son, and Spirit back at the beginning of time and creation, when God said, let there be light, Jesus, with the Father and with the Spirit, was there speaking. And when God speaks, when Jesus speaks, something happens. And the same is true in this situation. They got ready and Jesus began to take those five loaves and those two fish and multiplied them and gave it to everyone. And it says everyone was satisfied. Wouldn't you love to have been there to try to see how that was taking place? <laughs> how did that happen? How did Jesus actually multiply that? Did it, did it just somehow uh, once uh, one loaf left his hand, another one would appear, or when one fish was passed out, another fish or more. How did that work? Well, we only know that Jesus, who was the presence of God in the flesh, was able to multiply what was given to him, and everyone was satisfied. In fact, it says in verse 43, they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men plus everyone else. Everyone was satisfied because the people were fed. Now here's a good question. 
When Jesus said to his disciples, you give them something to eat, did the disciples give them something to eat? And the answer is, <laughs> it's a very quiet uh, response. The answer is yes, thanks. You don't have to be afraid to say that. Yes, the disciples gave them something to eat. They were the ones passing it out. They were the ones distributing all of that food. Did they create it? No. But did they actually feed the multitude? Yes, because of Jesus. Jesus commanded them, you give them something to eat, was fulfilled because he enabled them. He gave him the power and the ability to take what he had given to them and distribute it to the multitude. And they were all satisfied. In fact, we know that every one of those disciples were involved. How do we know that? Because how many baskets were there after? Twelve. How many disciples were there? Twelve. Do you think there's two disciples sitting under the tree somewhere saying to their other uh, companions, you guys take care of it, we're going to take a break. No, they were all 12 involved. Every single one of those disciples were involved in feeding the multitude. And when they picked up the fragments, they each had something of their own baskets, probably those that they carried uh, with them on their waist. And they picked up those fragments, and they had enough not only for the multitude, but for themselves as well. But now, how does that apply to the next section? If that is a lesson that when God, when Jesus gives you a command, then he expects you to obey that command, not in your own power, but in the power that he grants to you. How does that apply to the next section? What should they have learned there that applied? Well, if Jesus says, do it, then you do it. You have the power to do it. Look at verse uh, 45 for just a moment. After this all happened, it says immediately, what? He made his disciples get into the boat. In other words, he gave them another command. His command in the earlier section was give them something to eat, and they did. His next command was get into the boat and row to the other side while he went up to the mountain to pray. So the command of Jesus was intended for them to be obeyed just as surely as his command for them to give the, to give the people something to eat. But what happened? When he dismissed the crowd, he went up to pray, and evening had come. These disciples were out on the sea, and it says they were making headway, verse 48 says it, making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Have you ever been there? Have you ever made headway painfully in your life? Not just rowing on the water, but facing all kinds of other issues in your life, and you say, I don't think it's going to work. This is too hard. In fact, it's almost impossible for us to do that. But you see, Jesus had commanded them to get into the boat and row to the other side. And when Jesus commands you to do something, he gives you the power to do it. He gives you the ability to do it. Now, here's an interesting thing, and you may not have caught this before, but it says when he uh, came in the fourth watch of the night, walking on the sea. And notice these next words at the end of verse 48. He meant to pass them by. He was intending not to stop, but he was intending to go right by them. Someone might ask the question, why did Jesus walk on the water? 
It's the same answer as the question, why did the chicken cross the road? He, he did it to get to the other side. Jesus was planning to walk right by them. And these poor disciples, straining at the oars, painfully making headway, and Jesus is going to walk right by them. You know, we came uh, on, took the back route from Kitchener today, which we often did when we were serving at uh, Stony Creek. And we came through Thorndale and up to uh, Highbury and then down Highbury to uh, Stony Creek and now, of course, to Knollwood as well. Suppose we were driving this morning, and I don't know where all of you live, but suppose we were driving, my wife and I, down Highbury, and I happened to have a car trouble, right? Maybe like a little above Sunningdale Road where it's still kind of rural. And suppose one of you who was driving that same route came by me and you notice, wow, those poor people, they're having trouble. They're pulled off to the side. And even though you may not know me, you might have, uh, you know, perhaps by some uh, uh, insight said, you know what? That's the guy who's going to be preaching in Nolwood today. <laughs> and he's having trouble. There he is along the side of the road, poor guy. And so as you drive by, you give me a little wave and say, see you in church. <laughs> well, you might say, what kind of a friend, what kind of a helper would you be if that's what you would do? You see I'm in trouble. You see I'm, I'm not able to get where I'm wanting to go, and you just go right on by. Well, my friends, that's what Jesus was intending to do. That's what the Bible says he was intending to do. He was intending to pass them by. Why? Is it because Jesus was uncaring, unfeeling, had no concern for, for their issues? No, it's because Jesus had commanded them to get into the boat and row to the other side. And he was expecting. That's exactly what they would do. Now, he knew that it would be difficult because he'd already seen them. He'd been up on the mountain, and he saw that they were making headway very slowly and painfully. And he saw that there was waves and wind going on around about them, but he still walked right on by or was intending to do that. And, of course, uh, they were afraid, and they cried out, thinking he was a ghost. And he responded to them and said, take heart. Uh, I'm Jesus, you don't have to be afraid. And he got into the boat, the wind ceased. But it says right after that, that in addition to be utterly astounded, their hearts were hardened. They hadn't understood the lesson that Jesus had just taught them hours before. That whenever Jesus gives a command, he also gives you the power to do what he commands. Oh, what a wonderful lesson that is. What an important lesson that is. Have you learned that lesson yet? Are you in the process of learning that lesson? If Jesus ever tells you to do something, he just doesn't say, you figure it out on your own. You do it however you can. He empowers you to do it. Along with the command of Jesus always comes his empowerment. He'll never ask you to do something that he will not enable you to do. That is a wonderful truth. It is an established truth based upon the word of God. There is power 
in his command. Some of you may say, well, you know, I'm, I'm making headway painfully where I am. I'm in a tough marriage. I don't know if I can stick it out. I don't know. Uh, I didn't sign up for all of this. I don't know if I can make it. Did God lead you in that marriage? Did you hear his voice? Did he direct your steps to make those commitments to one another? If so, and you would say, yes, he did, then there's power in his command. And he will enable you by his power, if you believe in him and trust in him, to keep faithful to the commitments that he has led you to make. You might say, I'm at a tough job right now. I don't know if I can carry it out. Well, did God call you to that job? Did God lead you in that way? Is that how God has led in your life? And do you have a sense that you need to stay where you are? Well, then believe that there's power in his command. He's still faithful to give you what you need for today so that you are able to continue on. You could name any number of situations, hard situations, maybe even impossible situations. But if Jesus has commanded you to be there, then that's where you belong. Years ago in ministry, and I've been in ministry for probably close to 60 years now, there was a church in California where I served in and uh, the tough, it was tough going for a while. I was associate pastor. The senior pastor had left. And the church asked me to fill in for a couple of years as the acting senior pastor. And there was all kinds of, of uh, differences within the church. And people were dissatisfied and they were restless. And they didn't know which direction they wanted to go. And you had people feeling this way and that way. And I felt like I was in the middle of a sandwich. <laughs> And I said, Lord, I don't like it here. I don't like being in that position. I, th I think I'm just going to call it quits and move on. But you know, if you're in ministry, you don't have the luxury of just saying, I'm done. I'm, I can call it quits. Oh, some pastors do, and sometimes situations are so difficult, they feel they have no other alternative. But I knew that God had called me there, and I knew that he hadn't given me any other direction for that point. So I was there. It was hard. It was rowing painfully. And I was making slow progress. I said, Lord, what do I do? The Lord led my wife and myself to a conference in, uh, in one of the several conference grounds there. There are several really good ones in California. And the, one, the fellow who was speaking was a pastor who had been in the military years before. And he said, you know, there's a cardinal rule in the military, and that is this, that you're always to follow the last direct order. That is to say, if you've been commanded to do something, then you keep doing something until you get a different set of orders. If, if your commander says march south, then you keep marching south, and you don't divert from that. You, you continue to do that until you get a new set of orders. So you are to follow the last direct command. Hmm. Well, I knew in my case, this situation that I refer to, that the last command that I had heard from the Lord was to come to that church and serve there. <laughs> and so that's what God had told me to do, and that's what I had done for almost 10 years up to that point. 
Now it was a new situation, a new set of issues, but still the command was the same. That was the last direct order. Come here and serve me here. So I said, okay, Lord, it's pretty tough. It's almost impossible. I'm making headway painfully. I'm just rowing against the wind. But God said, I want you to keep doing what I told you to do. And you know, I found God's strength for those remaining couple of years to do what he'd called me to do. And when the time came for me to end that situation, I knew the timing was right. And there was a new set of orders that came in from my commander in chief. And I knew it was time for me to move. But I also knew that I'd stayed in the battle and I'd stayed doing what I needed to do, not just to my own credit, but because God impressed that lesson on my heart. Follow the last direct order. That's what God had told me to do because there's power in his command. If you believe that you are where God commanded you to be, you can look to his empowerment. You can, by faith, appropriate his empowerment for your life because he always gives you power when he tells you to do something. These disciples should have learned that. He said, you give them something to eat. They didn't know how it was going to happen, but he made it happen because he enabled them to do exactly what he commanded them to do. He told them to get in the boat and row to the other side, and it was a difficult time, but yet he fully expected them to do exactly what he said to do. Now, the fact that they were weak and they were fearful, he accommodated them, he got into his boat, and you know, sometimes, folks, when we fail and when we don't live up to the commands, sometimes Jesus in his grace and mercy, he says, all right, I'm going to get in your boat. But I want you to know you didn't, hear, you didn't get the lesson. So think back and understand what you should have learned. Friends, I don't know where you are today in your life. You, you know. You know where you're having difficulties in obeying the command of God. But I assure you today, on the basis of the authority of the word of God, whatever he has commanded you to do, whatever he has called you to do, he is enabling you to do. And if you will believe him, if you will trust in his command and reach out and get from his hand what he is giving you to fulfill his call in your life, you will find that you are able to do what he's commanded you. Not because you have all power in yourself, but because there's power in his command. Thank you, Father, for this wonderful truth. You know the hearts of every person here in this room and those listening online. You know where we have sensed a need in our life, thinking, I don't think, we, I, don't think I can do this. I don't think I can make it. Oh, May we believe in the lesson that you taught those early disciples, that when you make a command, you give the empowerment to fulfill it. Help us each one to appropriate that in our lives today for the glory of your name. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. God's people say together, amen. 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 Thank you.